Well, isn't it wonderful to be back? Oh, so wonderful to be back and so wonderful to be able to look out and see all of your familiar faces that we haven't seen for, or some we haven't seen for such a long time. And we are just so thankful to our God, aren't we, that we can join together here and worship together. And one of the wonderful things about being back together and being able to join together here is that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper once again together um, as we do every time usually when we meet for Inspire. I have been recently in my daily devotions reading through Paul's letter to the Romans and once again I have been just so amazed by the immense love of our Heavenly Father as I've read through that good news story that Paul so clearly um, outlines for us in his letter to the Romans. And as a lead-in to our celebrating the Lord's Supper today, I just wanted to share with you the first part of chapter five. It sounds very loud. It might just be that it's, it's, it's not, yeah. Very good. That's the important thing that you can hear me. <laughs> oh, so am I. That's why I'm hearing so well. It's coming through my hearing aids. <laughs> so I just wanted to share from the first part of Romans chapter 5. And I'm reading it from a more contemporary translation. It's more of a paraphrase, which I think will just help us really just um, grasp in a fresh new way what Jesus has done for us. Let me just read it to you. It's headed in my Bible here, Our New Life. And Paul begins by saying, our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us and he now declares us flawless in his eyes. Isn't that amazing? This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God, all because of what Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, has done for us. Our faith in Jesus guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. But that's not all, he says. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance, and patient endurance will refine our character and proven character leads us back to hope. And this hope isn't a disappointing fantasy, he reminds us, because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. I'm always amazed at that truth. The Holy Spirit lives in us. For when the time was right, the anointed one, that is Jesus, came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak and powerless to save themselves. And that's us. 
We were entirely helpless, weak and powerless to save ourselves, but Jesus died for us. Now, who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And there is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard this powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. That is what God says to us today. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never receive, you will never experience the wrath of God. So if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more we will be rescued from sin's domination. And even more than that, we now overflow with triumphant joy in our new relationship of living reconciled to God, all because of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. What beautiful, powerful words. What an, what an incredible new life, an amazing new life that we live in because of what Jesus has done. And what an extravagant, overwhelming love our Heavenly Father demonstrated for us through the death of our Saviour Jesus. And that's exactly what we celebrate and what we remember today and each time as we share together in Holy Communion. And so I'm going to ask you, and I'll just pick mine up that I just dropped, ask you to just take now the, um, the little package that you received as you arrived. Further on in um, the book of Corinthians, Paul talks about um, this meal and just what it means. And um, I'm going to ask you to just peel off the top part and just take out the little wafer that represents the bread. Just have that ready. Um, Paul reminds us in Corinthians chapter 11 that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, the night before he died, he took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. And that is what he says to each of us today, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. So let's do that together. You might like to just break the little wafer that represents the bread, just to remind you of just how broken Jesus' body was for us. Let's together eat.
And in the same way, Jesus also took the cup and he said to his disciples, take and drink. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. So let's now carefully take the top off our little container and let's drink together and remember the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross. And you know, Paul at the end of his account about the Lord's Supper says, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are retelling the story. We are proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes again. Would you join with me and let's bow our heads in prayer and thank our amazing Heavenly Father for the gift of Jesus. Oh, Father God, our Heavenly Father, our hearts are just so full this morning, full of thanks and praise and gratitude and love for you. Oh, Heavenly Father, we can't grasp fully this new life that we live in, but we know that we were once helpless, weak, powerless, but because of the sacrifice of your dear son, Jesus, we now can stand righteous before you in your presence. Oh Lord, we just want to say thank you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives within us and through whom we experience the deep love of Jesus deep within our very souls. Oh, our prayer, Heavenly Father, is that our lives will be the pleasing aroma of Christ to everyone we come in contact with. How else can we say thank you to you, Heavenly Father? How else can we say thank you to you, Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, but to offer our very lives back to you as a living sacrifice, to serve you, to love you, to allow your Holy Spirit to touch others through our very lives as we live them out in love to you. Oh, thank you for that immeasurable, that immense, that incomparable, that extravagant love that we experience in Jesus. We say thanks in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, who today afresh we declare as our Lord and our Saviour. Amen. Thank you, Trevor. Well, the last time I preached in the open air was in uh, Mexico. It was a bit warmer than this too, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And I preached in my thongs, my shorts, and my T-shirt, which is the normal dress over there for men. Right, I want to read from uh, Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going to read verses 35 to 38. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, 
and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Where we're obviously living in a time when we're doing our best to avoid crowds. And that's why we're gathered like we are here today. But everywhere we go, social distancing and quarantining is practiced or should be. But it's not normal for us, obviously, is it? Then the time will come, and I hope it's soon, when we can mix freely with each other, when we can meet at functions, at church, weddings, funerals, without limitation of numbers, and enjoy good Christian fellowship. But when we do see the crowds, how do we see them? Do we see what Jesus sees? Do we see people in the same way that Jesus sees them? It's very easy in our busy lifestyles to overlook people and their desperate needs and disregard them. I want to share a few incidences from the life of Jesus recorded in the Gospels. The first one is Matthew 14. Jesus was on the Lake of Galilee and he went ashore and saw a crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Matthew 15, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and they've got nothing to eat. Matthew 21, the blind came to him and he healed them. The lame came to him and he healed them. Mark 1, a man with leprosy came to Jesus, pleading with him, knelt down before him and pleaded with Jesus to heal him. And Jesus, it says, was moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And of course, le people with leprosy, they had to be isolated. And we're getting very familiar with that term. Then Luke 7, as Jesus, he was in the town of Nain, and as he drew near to the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out and he was the only son of his widowed mother. And when Jesus saw her, he had compassion for her. And he said, don't cry. And then he came up and he touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said to the young man, arise. And the young man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mum. Wasn't that wonderful? So we see that Jesus has compassion for the sick, he, had, he has compassion for the hungry. He has compassion for people who are blind, for those who are lame, for those who are diseased and have to be isolated because of their disease. And he has compassion for those who are grieving, those who are mourning. The word compassion here is the strongest word for pity that is found, uh, well, uh, that, that's in the Greek language. The gospel writers actually drew two words together to make up this one word that they use to try to convey the depth of feeling that Jesus had when he felt this compassion when he saw people in their desperate needs. 
in our reading in Matthew 9 there, we see that Jesus had compassion on the crowds because they were harassed and helpless. Or as another translation says, distressed and dispirited. This means that the meaning behind those words is that they, they felt like they were being mangled, they felt they were flayed, thrown to the ground like unprotected, vulnerable sheep. And that's a dreadful way for people who are made in the image of God to feel. It's not meant to be that way. Jesus saw the crowds were like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost and they were leaderless. And there was no one in Israel to guide them. The scribes, the Pharisees, the priests and the Sadducees, they had nothing to offer. There was no guidance, no comfort, no strength, no hope coming from them. All they had were rules and regulations and Jesus said, in Matthew 23, you listen to what they're saying, but don't follow their example. They don't practice what they preach. So they were no use to, as shepherds to the people of Israel at that time. Many of you will be familiar with the words of Isaiah. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. And Jeremiah said something similar. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They had shepherds, but they're crook. Dare we look to some of our shepherds, perhaps our political leaders, for example, for guidance, for strength, for hope in our times? Not me, anyway. But thank God we can say with King David, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. There is again, Jesus is with us. Your rod and your staff, they bring me comfort. So the Bible tells us that Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. The Bible tells us that he is the great shepherd who was raised to life and is alive right now, hallelujah, and he's the chief shepherd, shepherd who will give us the unfading crown of glory. Jesus is the kind of shepherd who goes after just one lost sheep and brings him or her back to the fold because he's concerned, he cares, and because he's compassionate. And that's how he feels about each one of us here today. I think most of us could agree with the Apostle Peter's words when he wrote, you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And I'm sure that's the testimony of most of us here today. We knew we were straying and we've come back to our chief shepherd. But can you say, can, can each of us say, Jesus is my savior? Can we say, Jesus is my sovereign? Is Jesus my shepherd? Someone said the great problem and tragedy of this age is that we're at the crossroads and the signposts have fallen down and we just don't know which way to turn. I mentioned what Isaiah said about all of us being like lost sheep have gone astray. Well, the rest of that sentence, as many of you will know, says we have turned every one of us to our own way and that's the problem. And David Twigg recently in a sermon said, Jesus is the answer to the problem of humanity and the problem of sin. 
we have gone our own way. I've mentioned this before, but we had a couple of young men in our home, late, late teens, and they're not believers in Jesus. One of them said um, he'd, read, he'd read the Ten Commandments and he agreed with some of them. So I asked where they got their values from, and uh, they said from society. And uh, that's the words of Jesus, that's the blind leading the blind. Recently I received this from Australian Christian Lobby in an email. Young people today are confronted with countless ideas and life philosophies in their workplaces, in their friendship groups, and most of all at university. They're bombarded with different ways of looking at the world. And for, and for young Christians, that can pose a real challenge. When you're only in your 20s, how do you confront vicious attacks on Christianity? How do you stand up for what you believe when all your peers and teachers jeer at you? Well, we can pray for the young people in our church, the young people who attend university and college. Pray that God will protect their minds and their hearts. Yes, they need to be taught well. They need to be discipled well. They need to learn something of apologetics. They need to put on the armor of God. But we can still pray for them. Pray that God will protect them and keep them. As we read the Gospels, you will notice that Jesus never ever followed the crowds. He never followed the crowds and sometimes he even turned away from them because he had to go to another town. But the crowds always followed Jesus. And they followed him because he taught them with authority. He was genuine. He was authentic. Jesus taught them how to live. He gave them hope. He gave them courage. He gave them guidance. Earlier on in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus said in chapter 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, embraces them, obeys them, he'll be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on, on that house and he did not fall. Why? Because it had been laid on a solid foundation, the rock of the truth of God's word. He went on to say, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a fool who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came up and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell over and the fall of it was great. So if we want to stand firm in the storms of life, we're to take heart Take to heart what Jesus said about building our lives on the truths he taught. And that's where we get a solid foundation for our lives, not on the shifting sands of society's opinions. Today, people are lost, leaderless, confused, disillusioned, distracted, and even fearful. I was talking to a policeman friend of mine not so long ago and he said the suicide rate in, uh, during COVID-19 season has increased. People despair because they don't know what to do. They don't know who to turn to. And I've recently had dealings with three people who seriously considered suicide, all for, the, all for different reasons. Two of them are powering on in the Lord. The other one's still struggling, but doing her very best to stay close to the Lord and the struggles that she's going through. 
but it doesn't always turn out like that. Too many people take their lives because they're lost. They don't have a shepherd like Jesus. Jesus has the words of eternal life. He has the words of hope and the words of peace. We who know him are obligated to take his message to the communities around us. But in order to do so, we need to be equipped to know how to point people to the Lord of life, the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world. People need deliverance from the grip of sin. They need to know that there is forgiveness available. They need to be reconciled to their Heavenly Father. They need to be completely transformed by the Holy Spirit working through the gospel. As his ambassadors, we, we are to go to these sheep without a shepherd and tell them of the one who is the Lamb of God, lay down his life to take away our sins. And as the good shepherd will give them abundant life, life that's overflowing, life to the full. In Ephesians 4, the apostle Paul wrote these words. He said, Jesus gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. My translation uses the word shepherds. Other translations have the word pastors, and that's what a pastor is, a shepherd. I mentioned Psalm 23 earlier on, the Lord is my shepherd. I've been to a few countries where they speak Spanish, and the Spanish version says, El Señor is mi pastor. In other words, the Lord is my pastor. They actually use the word shepherd, pastor. Here at Bridgman, we are taught the word of God by, by men of God, men who know the Lord, men who know the word. And they know how to apply the promises and the precepts and the principles of the word of God to our lives for our edification and encouragement, and also that we may be equipped so that we can meaningfully connect with this lost, sinful, and broken world. I love the words of the hymn, the song that says, I'm not going to sing it to you, be safe there. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yield his life, his life as atonement for sin, and open the life gate that all may go in. To God be the glory, great things he has done. And great things he has done through the cross and the resurrection. And he's still doing great things today. And he wants to do even greater things yet. Recently I was talking to the man who discipled me and a lot of other young people a long time ago. I mean, I was talking to him recently, but uh, he discipled me back when I was in my teens. A friend, Ruth, knows him. He's now in his 80s and he's still mentoring young pastors in New South Wales. But anyway, as we shared on the phone together, we rejoiced at how the kingdom of God is growing. It is advancing across the world in spite of or even because of persecution. And God wants to do, continue to do even greater things yet, but he needs laborers, as Jesus said in that passage that I read. He, he needs laborers with a heart like his, a compassionate heart. He needs laborers who will fully surrender to him and totally available to be used, however the Lord of the harvest chooses. Bob Pierce was a man with a tremendous compassion for people in poverty 
especially children. After visiting poor and broken children in Asia, he wrote these words in the flyleaf of his Bible. Let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Did God answer Bob's prayers? Yes, because he became the founder of World Vision and he became the founder of Samaritan's Purse. From our own fellowship, we have Liz, Liz Sandra Perry, who is, uh, has a heart of compassion for the people of Cambodia. For 10 years, she worked amongst the poor in Phnom Penh, and I visited her there and helped one afternoon. And then, more recently than that, she's been working in Siem Reap in the town uh, further north in the country. She's, God has done an amazing work through her in a prison there. And, uh, which I won't go into the details of, many of you will be familiar with that, but Sandra is a heart of compassion. Her daughter Liz is based here in Australia, but she also is overseeing her work amongst very, very poor people in um, Phnom Penh, the capital, also with a heart of compassion. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, Therefore, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest out there is great, it's huge, and the laborers are still in short supply. Many are needed. And so we can respond in two ways. Firstly, we can do what Jesus said, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to raise up and send out more laborers, both here in Australia and to those na nations where the word of God is scarce and the people are in great need. And secondly, we can do what the disciples did as we read on in chapter 10. They got involved. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I wonder if the will of God is your food. Is that what keeps you going? Are we accomplishing his work? or just getting on with what we want to do. Jesus went on to say, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest now. And he wasn't talking about wheat, he was talking about people in need. So no matter how young or old we are, may we always be people with compassion, real genuine compassion people who pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and people who participate in God's kingdom purposes are reaching out to those who don't know him yet. When I see the crowds, do I see them as Jesus sees them? When you see the crowds, do you see them as Jesus sees them? Do we look upon the lost and needy of our world with a heart of compassion? We can't manufacture compassion the same as we can't manufacture love, joy, peace, righteousness, or holiness. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit who ministers to us the love of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus. We just need to get out of the way and let him do what he wants to do in us and through us. Thank you. Oh, we're so blessed. Thank you, Brian. We're so blessed that here we are again together. I think the Lord's been teaching his church a lot over these months. 
Think of all your brothers and sisters in Christ who have been cut off not for five months or six months or seven months, but for years. And they're underground. And they're meeting in clusters for fear their life being taken from them. Not fearful of where they're going, but what they might have to go through on the journey. Can't take in. There's millions of our brothers and sisters. We've had a good shake-up. And we of all people are so blessed today. Here. May the Lord grant safety on us all in Victoria, in Australia, across Europe, Southeast Asia, America, and so we could go on. Brian, thank you for your word. And if you have been inspired this morning, thank the Lord Jesus. And if you haven't, Tell me, will you? <laughs> Tell me. So that we can be increasingly blessed in Jesus. Now, we commit you all to the Lord's love and grace. We depart, Lord, with thankful hearts, worshipping, praising, adoring you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, blessed Trinity, amen. And scones as you leave.